big names and the exclusives keep coming on the ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week we continue our masterclass series from the World Tennis Conference with Rainer Schuttler and Felix Auger-Aliassime's coach, Frederic Fontaine, among others. We have new doubles world number one, Joe Salisbury, and we hear from the new man on the block, surprise semi-finalist in Miami, Francisco Serundolo. But we start with the climax in Miami and a final between two first-time Masters 1000 finalists, Casper Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz. And in the end, it was the young Spaniard who came out victorious. And cool as the other side of the pillow. Carlos Alcaraz a point away from becoming the youngest champion in tournament history. He masters the field in Miami. Carlos Alcaraz shines brightest in the Sunshine State as champion of the Miami Open. Carlos, well done. You're the youngest men's champion in tournament history. It's your first Masters 1000 title. And on top of it, you're going to move to number 11 in the world. How do you feel after this masterful title? Well, I, I think I, it's pretty soon to, to describe my feelings right now. I mean, I have no words to, to describe. Uh, describe how I feel right now, but uh, it's so special to, to to win my first Master 1000 here in Miami. I mean, I have uh, an unbelievable team with, with me and family. Uh, I think the, my father uh, couldn't, uh, couldn't stay with me in, uh, in, in the tournament. I think he's, uh, his second tournament that uh, I'm with, with him, and I'm so I'm so happy with, with, the, with the win and uh, for sure with, the, with, with, my, with my team. I want to talk just quickly tactically about what you did today. Most of your rally balls all went through the backhand today and it allowed you to kind of move forward with the forehand and then the backhand down the line. Was that the play through when you started? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, I, I knew that Casper uh, is uh, playing unbelievable. He has a big forehand. Uh, I, well, I tried to, to play to his uh, backhand first and then uh, to to, well, attack all the time, you know. I'm trying to, to go to to attack, to uh, trying to not let him uh, dominate the, the match. And uh, yeah, with the forehand down the line, backhand down the line, it was uh, it was a pretty pretty good key for me. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Mike Cation putting the questions to Carlos Alcaraz, and congratulations once again to Carlos. Already a first-time 500 winner this season, and now a first-time Masters 1000 champion. The world is certainly sitting up and taking note of 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz. Already, he's hitting every goal he set for himself this year, as he told Mike Cation ahead of the showpiece. Well, uh, at the beginning of the season, my goal was uh, end of the end of year, uh, breaking the top 50, the top, the top 15, and uh, I'm so I'm uh, I'm reaching my goal so soon, but uh, yeah, hope to just uh, still grow up. I mean, uh, be able to end the year into the top ten. It's a good goal for me, tough one, but uh, a good one, and uh, be able to classify to the ATP finals as well, if it's possible. Mm, 
win a Master 1000 or win the, as, as much titles as I can. And uh, yeah, good goals this, this season. Is it possible you might have some losses along the way? Do you accept that as part of just the long-term process? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just said that the, for, for the process. I mean, it's a long process and a slow process as well. Uh, even if I'm doing great things so soon, uh, but uh, as I said, it's a, low, it's a slow process. I mean, there are a lot of parts that the, is being part of, of the process that the, you have to accept. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to, to uh, turn off my mind of that, you know, <laughs> and uh, keep, keep uh, in, in my way. Heading into Miami, Casper Ruud was still very much focused on getting back into shape after injury ahead of his favourite time of year, the clay court swing. So the fortnight in Miami can only serve as another massive confidence boost. I had a couple of you know, uh, tougher injuries this year already, unfortunately, and uh, it's funny because the same thing happened actually last year where I was out for some, some weeks, but uh, since you know this these weeks I was able to, or last year at least, keep the whole year going and not too many injuries or pains. So let's hope it can happen again this year because I'm uh, obviously it's a bit boring to be injured and be out. You want to compete, you want to play tournaments and matches. So it was unfortunate that it happened in Australia that I didn't even get to play a match in the Australian Open. But it has given me motivation to kind of bounce back and take care of the chances I will get in the coming, uh, obviously, rest of the year. So. In a way, it's, it's tough, obviously, with injuries, but it's, in another way, you can try to use it as something positive, which I'm obviously trying to do. The clay is coming soon, and I think I always find these conditions tough the first days because it's humid, it's different, but when you stay here for a couple of weeks, I think that you feel very fit because you sweat a lot, you kind of push yourself through the humidity and the weather, it can get quite hot, so whenever the clay court kind of uh, time comes around we go back to Europe it's a bit cooler but conditions are maybe a bit easier in some ways uh, especially with the heat and humidity so having a good uh, two three weeks here is uh, I can see only positive things with it changing gears here as, as we think about your, your time at home and I know Davis Cup has been obviously so important for you over yep. the last couple of years What's what's it been like in those times at home now when you're you're actually able to spend there in terms of this is going to sound silly but your everyday life are you able to go to the grocery store are you <laughs> able to go out and just just be yourself Yes I am I mean Norway is a very nice country to both live in and grow up in it's uh, it's uh, it's a country that is doing well and uh, lately I've obviously had uh, some results that have been kind of uh, known a little bit in, into the public, but it's nothing crazy. I can go to the groceries just just fine. Sometimes maybe people come up to me and say, you know, hey, good job, good luck, I'm, we're following, we enjoy watching you play or whatever. But it's not uh, nothing more than this, so that's uh, that's also fine. It's, it's calm. Norwegian people are quite calm, I would say. And uh, yeah, I can walk around completely freely without, uh, you know, any any disturbances is more here on the tournaments when you're when you're practicing and that's only fun that uh, you know people are recognizing you wanting pictures but when i'm home i can practice you know in complete uh, calm conditions and uh, i can do my everyday life like anyone else and what's 
what is that pride like for you leading the way right now for that country and what, what that actually means for you? I hope obviously that we can uh, build a little bit on it as a tennis country. Uh, it's not, I mean my obviously main focus and goal is to try to do well and obviously win big tournaments in the future but uh, the federation I know they're doing a good job trying to work on uh, you know building more facilities because even though we're five million people, we're still, you know, lacking a lot of facilities because we have six months of the year indoors, uh, where we have to play indoor tennis, and we don't have the big, big facilities where we have, you know, plenty of courts like you maybe have here. I mean, up north, you have colleges or uh, or universities or clubs here in the states that have so many courts and open both to the open both to the university and to the public. So. Um, I think uh, that's something that Norway needs to improve a little bit on if there's if there's anything. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and atptour.com. Another player representing the hopes of a nation is South African Lloyd Harris. So far this season, his form has been up and down, but the former US Open quarterfinalist told Mike Cation that injury and inconsistency are now hopefully behind him. You want to get some wins on the board, and like you said, it was not an ideal start um, with some tough situations, wasn't able to play, competed my best, and you know, we over the years it's impossible to be perfect all the time you know so I'm just happy that I've been able to turn it around get a nice win last week play third round in the Wells and now fourth round over here so I mean these are big events so for sure I'm building up confidence as I'm going and yeah I think I got some really good wins so uh, I'm really happy with the results that I'm getting right now. All right, let's talk the last three weeks specifically, this week included. Um, what has been the biggest turning point in terms of just kind of flipping the script is using Indian Wells and Miami as that reset point? Tactically, what have you been able to do over these last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I, think, I think I've been you know, able to fire very well on my service games. I think that's been the strongest point for me. Um, I think I still need to make some tweaks on how I approach the return games. I think that's kind of the thing you lose the most when you haven't been playing a lot of matches and stuff. Um, but also, the, I played a bit of doubles this year, and I felt like that's really helped me to step up in that department, and I'm feeling a lot more confident stepping into the returns and, and trying to build my confidence in that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a it was a cup, tough couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm just happy I'm finally finding my form and try and play the way I wanted to play and get the wins. So those are the big confidence boosters in the end. I want to talk a little bit about your style of play and how it's developed. Um, you, you were with Anthony Harris and have continued to be with Anthony. It's a long-term partnership. And then bringing in uh, Xavier Melis over the last couple of years. What do you think your development, where has that gone over the last couple of years? What's been the biggest point of emphasis for you guys as a team? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really nice, you know, like like you said, me and Anthony, we've worked together for such a long time and I've also had a couple of weeks where both of them have been together and I, I feel like they got to communicate really well, you know, they got to plan and structure my game, you know, how they both see it and where they want me to, in which direction they want me to head and uh, I think they're pretty clear, you know, it's pretty clear in their minds that they want me to go in the same direction, you know, we want to be... You know, I'm a big guy, I want to serve big. They want me to play aggressively. They want me to step in a little bit more, take some more risk and, and put pressure on, on the guys. So I, I think they both see it in the same way. And, you know, I've, 
been super grateful that both of them have been able to, you know, add so much to my game in the last couple of years because it's only been going in the right direction for me for sure. Xavier specifically, um, obviously his style on court was so um, uh, energetic. Um, uh, do you think you can match that? Has has that aspect, the personality aspect, rubbed off on you as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's incredible how uh, laid back the X Man actually is, and and then you see how he used to be on the court, you know. But you know, he was a fierce competitor, and and he. Uh, yeah, he left all his emotions out there and, you know, he's definitely got me to, you know, get a little bit more of the emotions out for me on the court, for, definitely in a positive manner and try and get myself pumped, get, try and get myself psyched up a little bit more. Like you said, get those feet going, get extra energy on the court. So he's definitely put a lot of emphasis on those kind of things also. Big picture, you know, I'm thinking back to 2020 right before COVID hit, obviously the final was that Adelaide. Yeah. Um, how did you respond mentally to that in, in terms of just the fact that maybe that momentum got stunted a little bit as you had made that big push 2019 into 2020. I was playing exceptional tennis there. I played some good matches in ATP Cup and then I played final in Adelaide. So I, I definitely had some momentum and unfortunately we had to stop in, in March. But I also see it as all the other players had to stop. There was a lot of other guys that probably had some momentum also. Um, so it definitely wasn't ideal, um, but I definitely think I made the best of that situation. Uh, it was a time where I was able to work a lot of my fitness, a lot of my physique, um, and all those months at home. So we were trying to make the best of that situation. And I, I think I ended the year pretty strongly as well, you know, maybe not as strong as it was at the start of the year, but I, I think that was a kind of building blocks and stepping stones into my following year. Yeah, and I know you brought in a physio as well over the last couple of years. How has that been in terms of what you've been able to do physically and then implement that on the court? Yeah, it's been amazing. Corin is, uh, I've been working with her since I was, I think, 10 years old. So it's been amazing. And finally having her on the road with me, that makes such a big difference, you know, because she works, you know, all my footwork, all my physical training. Um, she does all my rehab obviously all my treatments so it's you know it makes a, a big difference we're just able to work so much more on the court also because i know i have that extra recovery afterwards so it's it's been really nice to to add that to my game and i think that's really stepped up my movement my ability to you know for my muscles to get stronger and perform longer in the matches so it's been an exceptional um, addition to my team yeah before i let you go the hair um, it has really developed over the last couple of years. You are uh, quite a stylist at this point. You might be an influencer coming up. Uh, how, how long are we going to let it go? Uh, what, what is the future for Lloyd Harris's hair? Look, this is very recent haircut for me. I mean, this is short. This is really short. It feels like I have your hairstyle right now, Mike. Um, so, I, no, seriously, uh, this, is, this is a big change for me. Uh, I left the headband. I'm playing with a hat all of a sudden. Um, but I felt like the change was needed and the change has helped me on court. <laughs> I truly believe that. You know, I feel a bit lighter. I feel like I'm moving better. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, the long hair will probably come back. It will probably make it, you know, run back into because my hair grows way too quickly. But uh, yeah, no, the hair has always been a, a special part of my entire look for sure. One man having a lot of fun in Miami. In fact, it's no exaggeration to say that in tennis terms, he had the fortnight of his life so far was Argentine Francisco Serundolo. A quarterfinal in Buenos Aires and a semi-final in Rio were both trumped by another semi-final, this time in Miami, that halved 
his world ranking, having spent much of the last year battling it out on the Challenger Tour. In Challengers, I think there's a high level. Uh, there are many people that can play great, and there are always five or six top 100 that play there. So, yeah, there, it's very competitive. Uh, I think in Challengers, most of the, of the people want to win a lot because they're just or starting or growing up and they want to, to be in the ATP level. So I think it's really tough to get through that level. And, but yeah, here you have the top guys, the top players that they play great. So I th think here the, the level is higher, the intensity, uh, everyone plays great. But I think the, I don't know, the hunger that there is in Challenger and the will they want to win, it's, I think it's more in Challenger than here. I got a text today, a random text today from a former uh, ATV player. And he just happened to say, Francisco is going to be a top 10 player in the future. And we never talked about you before. And I was, is his belief, is your belief as strong as his? Well, uh, it's a tricky question. I know. Hopefully, yeah, I believe myself that I, I can keep improving, keep moving up and of course, it's a dream that I have to be a top 10 player. I'm working a lot to to be there. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's not a goal right now. Uh, it's happening this week. It's gonna change me a lot of things. But but yeah, hopefully I can I can I can be a top 10 player in the future. It's not something that I'm thinking about right now. But but yeah, I will work to to achieve that and many more things. Hopefully. Argentina has produced some incredible players over the decades on both the men's and the women's side. When you look at Vilas and Juan Martin, David Nalbandia and Gabi, who did you look up to and who was your idol when you and your brother were starting out? Yeah, Argentina is fantastic. I think we had many great players. We have now Diego, the uh, Luonis. And there are many more coming up, like me and my brother and Baez uh, and a lot of more players. But yeah, when I was young, my idol was Nalbandian. I always look at him and I love the way he, he played. Uh, it's not that I play like him, not even close, but uh, and but yeah, I look at, at him and my brother. He, always, he was always a fan of Nadal because he's lefty and he always look at him, yeah. Have you seen, did you see David around when, because he's coaching now? Yeah. Yes, this year uh, I started like uh, having a better relationship with, with him and Zavala and all the guys that were at the top level when I was a kid. As I'm improving, I'm in the biggest event, so uh, I'm able to meet them more often. So it's amazing because we, we can have a, a chat, they can give me some thoughts and experience they they had in the past so it's it's really nice to I don't know to just hang around with them and they can give me some tips so it's fantastic. Francisco Cirundolo talking to the press in Miami and he is certainly one to watch out for this year alongside his younger brother Juan Manuel. From newcomers to those still performing at the highest level John Isner is well into his second decade on tour and back-to-back -back doubles titles in Indian Wells and Miami prove that he still has a lot to give. When he sat down with Mike Cation, he started by explaining how he balances the mental and physical sides of the game. 
oftentimes the mental can can over is is the most important thing. And when you're when I'm mentally right, I normally physically I, I feel good on the court. But I certainly over the years I know when to scale back. Um, certainly at this stage of my career, I don't practice as much as I did 10 years ago because it's just not the right thing to do. So uh, that gives me a, a good peace of mind as well. I know that I'm, I'm kind of off the tennis court and, and I also know that I've hit enough balls and my game is what my game is. And the most important thing I can do is take care of my body and that's something I do very well. Yeah, so how do you do that? What have been the biggest keys, especially over the last couple of years? Yeah. You know, obviously there have been some injuries. Yeah. What's been the biggest key for you? Yeah, well, I just, a lot of, a lot of treatment uh, whenever I can. And the treatment's very important for me. I, I've always liked to lift a lot of weights, but I mix, mix my training up quite a bit. Uh, I do some stuff to keep it fresh. I do yoga, I do Pilates, I do Soul Cycle. I really, really enjoy the working out aspect of my job way more than I do the, the time on the practice court. So I just know that if I can keep myself in very good shape, it shouldn't take me too long to, I guess, find my skills back on the tennis court. I'm, I'm wondering if you think that your time in college has maybe prepared you for a, a little bit longer of a career. Mm -hmm. If you would have gone yeah. pro at 17, yeah, do you think sure. you would have stopped earlier? For sure, I, I do think so. Well, I mean, luckily for me, I wasn't good enough to go pro, so that was never, you know, never an option for me. But had I turned pro at 18, immature, and not very professional, and not very dedicated to my craft, it would have been a very, very bad thing, and I would have lost a lot of matches early on. Who knows? I might have. I lost my desire to, to do well, but certainly college is where I, I matured so much and I figured out a lot about my body and I figured out what it takes for me to you know, be able to stay on the court and to be able to play well. So college uh, was a great decision for me. With this maturation process, you are essentially the, the father yeah. uh, of American tennis right now. And as you mentioned, you winning with Jack and obviously Taylor winning yeah. as well. Yeah. And I guess what does it mean to you to see a, another young American male in yeah. the title holder club, if you will, of the Masters? Yeah, no, that was an unbelievable event for Taylor. Seems like the, you know, the, the stars aligned for him for sure. But that's what it takes to, to to win an event like this. I know he won two matches, seven, six, and the third. And the one thing about Taylor is he is pretty clutch. I mean, you know, when the chips are down or when, you know, it's a big point, he does tend to play his best tennis and. That's what he did out there in, in Indian Wells. And we all know that the competition is so tough and the margins are very, very thin. I mean, he knows he could have been out in the round of 32, but he was able to get through that match and uh, just build momentum from there. So it was very impressive what he did. He's obviously comfortable there. He likes, he likes playing there, but certainly a, a fantastic event for Taylor, and I'm very happy for him. And this, this depth right now of American men's tennis, it's, we mm -hmm. haven't had it for quite some mm -hmm. time. What stands out amongst this group of players that are kind of pushing yeah. this next group and especially who has stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, I've been asked that question a lot about like American men's tennis, but truly right now, I can say with a lot of conviction that we are in a, a very, very good place. I think the number is seven players in the top 40 in the world, most of any country. And I, I always said that it was just a matter of time before this would be the case. I think to really submit Maybe American tennis back on the map would, I think, to be able to get two players back in the top ten, would be um, would be quite an accomplishment, and to put you know the USA uh, back on the map in, in in men's tennis. But certainly, there's a lot of guys that uh, deserve a lot of praise right now. Um, one thing that's quite nice for me is that no one talks about me that much anymore, even though I'm still ranked pretty high, and I think I'm still I think I'm still pretty good. But uh, it's it's actually 
very cool for me to try to compete and uh, hang with these guys that, that are much younger than I am. Sticking with doubles this week, Brit Joe Salisbury reached world number one for the first time. It's a title he's still getting used to. It's a bit strange, to be honest. I mean, obviously, very happy, very proud of, of what, what we've achieved as a team and obviously personally getting to the number one ranking. Um, yeah, it feels, it feels a, bit, a bit strange because I almost feel like I'm not, I shouldn't be there because I'm quite a harsh critic of myself and often not happy with my level and know that I can still improve a lot more. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit crazy, to be honest, but um, and not, even, not even something that I thought I could ever get to. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a proud moment. Was it, was it ever a goal over the last couple of years? Was that something that you were actually striving for in particular? To be honest, not. Not so much. Um, I think, yeah, as a team, we're, we're more focused on winning the big tournaments, winning the Grand Slams, the Masters, and, and doing well there. And, and obviously, yeah, trying to get to be the number one team. Um, but yeah, it's not something that I've really had as a goal to sort of personally get to the number one ranking. I mean, for me, it's, it's all about the team. Doubles is a, a team sport. and. Uh, yeah, I almost feel a bit bad that kind of I'm, I'm number one and Rajiv's number two because we've done everything together. It was just one tournament that we played, played separately, um, and yeah, all, everything we've achieved, we've done, we've done as a team. Um, and I wouldn't even be be here if it wasn't for him agreeing to play with me nearly three and a half years ago. Um, so yeah, obviously we're really happy to be to be in this position now. I've been lucky enough to see your progression, your career as it's moved along. You played at a, a smaller college in the in the university, a smaller university here in the states. You weren't the most heralded junior prospect as well. That's quite an accomplishment, Joe. And and I just wonder how you look back at where you were, say, when you were 16 years old, and and what you would think about this progression that you've been able to make. Yeah, I definitely don't think I'd have believed it. Um, yeah, especially when I was in college and. Yeah, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to play professionally after, and um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have ever thought that I could have could have got to this to this point. So, I think it's often good to look back a bit more because I think you're always focused on what you're doing right now, where you want to get to, and and maybe the things that you're not doing that you'd like to be doing, or the things you you want to be achieving that you, you haven't achieved yet. But yeah, it's often good to to look back at kind of my college days and realize where where I was and, and how yeah how far I've come since then. I'm wondering what your family uh, has thought in the last couple of days since since it became mathematically a certainty and, and just what I imagine while you might be a little bit more modest, I'm sure they're overjoyed. Yeah, yeah they are. I've only spoken to them briefly uh, yesterday after we found out um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll have a bit of a celebration when I go home next week, but I know they're extremely proud and uh, yeah, I think they're in a bit of disbelief with it as well. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy the moment and I know they're, they're very happy for me. This is just one moment in, in a career. Um, and now I know for you, it's more that push towards the year end number one. Why is that so important to you and, and this just a, just a moment? I think, uh, obviously, yeah, getting the year in number one shows that 
yeah, as a, as a team, you've had, you've had the best year. You've been the best doubles team all year. Obviously, right now, we've kind of accomplished that over the last 12 months. Um, and that's great that we're gonna, it's going to be the first time we're going into the tournaments with the number one ranking being the number one seed. So, so that's amazing. Um, but I think, yeah, if you look, look back at all the teams as, as number one, you kind of look back as at the year end number ones, who, the teams that have achieved that rather than who was number one in the, in the middle of the year. So I think to, yeah, you have that little bit of history, I suppose, if you, if you reach that year end number one. Um, and yeah, obviously that's, that's the, team, the team accomplishment and team achievement, which is what, what we're going for. Just a couple of words about what Rajiv has meant to you and, and what he has brought to your career to help make you a more successful doubles player. Yeah, I mean, he's been an incredible partner. Um, I think one thing that's, yeah, I've said it so often, the thing that makes us such a great team is, is the fact that we get on so well on and off the court. We've supported, supported each other through through some tough times, um, whether that's in, in difficult matches or some, some tough times off the court. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just such a, such a great guy and, and obviously an amazing player. And I'm lucky that, that it's worked out this way and that I got to play with him when I was kind of just only just on my way out making, hadn't even had a half a year on, on the main tour and he kind of put, put his faith in me and, and that, that we could be a good, good team team together so I'll always be grateful that that he did that um, and yeah we've really really enjoyed this journey but hopefully we've got more years to come as well and lastly just your thoughts on some of the coaches that have helped you progress and I know your your coach now is is a guy who you played with in college and David O'Hare but what they have meant and who has really stood out in terms of helping you get to this point yeah I mean we, we've been very lucky we've had so many great people, influential coaches, mentors around us um, throughout our, our whole career. We've actually, it's almost a bit of a strange setup. We've got a lot of coaches in, involved. Um, we've got David O'Hare as one of my, my best mates and college teammate who's traveling coach with us now. Um, we've got Louis Kaye, who's one of the, the best coaches in the world, I think, who's, who's started working with, with me and us as a team when, when I first started playing doubles about four or five years ago um, and yeah I don't think I could could have got here without his without his help and his his uh, yeah all his support um, and then Justin Shering as well who's also my coach back home um, who's been yeah he coached me since I was six years old um, so obviously we've had such a long relationship and he's been coaching me on and off since then and um, yeah it's had a massive massive impact and then also Rob Morgan who we were with for most of the time we've, we've been together um, our last two or the, the past two years um, together as a team um, but yeah there's so many other people as well friends family for me this all the support from the LTA all the physios SNC all of that um, so there's there's so many people that goes into the into this achievement and yeah all the wider wider teams so massive thank you to all of them and uh yeah looking forward to keep working with them joe salisbury as modest as ever but what makes him so strong in his partnership with rajiv ram that was the question jill Krabus put to the veteran american joe's a bit younger than me i didn't really know him until uh the end of 2018 and he had asked me to play and you know i was looking for a partner looking for someone to kind of play with for you know a while consistently and 
Yeah, I went through a few guys that I'd already known, to be honest, that were that were more, let's say, established because they were a bit older, um, but nothing worked out. And so I, you know, Joe brought a lot of characteristics of a tennis player that I thought would be great for me. Like what would you say? Well, he, firstly, he's an incredible athlete, which I'm not. So it, it helps. <laughs> yes, out, you are. It helps Come out. On. It helps out a lot for someone that when they can compliment you. And I feel like you know, he's you know, that's one thing for sure. He 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 makes such he's such a quick and sort of like you know explosive player. I probably bring a bit more you know, ball striking ability to the team. And so I think I can do some things maybe that he doesn't do as well. And then he's a big guy, he serves well, and I thought we could just be an imposing sort of presence on the court. And all, all of that's worked out as I kind of thought. And then probably the most important thing is just a nice guy. You know, he's an easy, I mean, when we do this doubles thing, we travel around with the same person for 35 weeks a year. So you better, you know, you better get along to some extent. And I think that's a big part. And, and for two guys that are around each other so often, right? Yeah. You're traveling week in and week out. How much time do you spend off the court? Or so, do you like to get away? or what's- Yeah, I think we've both made a concerted effort to try and maybe minimize that a okay. little bit. Because we do spend so much time on the court. Not to say that we avoid each other. That's not it at all. But just, you know, make sure we take our time to ourselves. Because, I mean, there are, yeah, you don't want, the last thing you want is, you know, for each other to kind of get on each other's nerves on the court because of something that's happening off the court, you know. And I think we've done a pretty good job of sort of, getting that balance right. I mean, we went to dinner the other night. It was great, but we were not going to do that every night, you know? And you can check out an extended version of Jill's chat with Rajiv Ram on our podcast channel this coming Wednesday. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Finally this week, we head back to the World Tennis Conference supported by the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute as we continue our series of masterclasses with some of the greatest coaches in the game. And having previously focused on communication and court position, this week it's all about how players manage themselves around game time. Shortly we'll hear from the former coach of Angelique Kerber and Janko Tipsarevich, former world number five and Australian Open finalist Reiner Schuttler, about those final moments leading up to a match. But first, let's hear from Cameron Norrie's coach, Facundo Lugones, on building the foundations of a drive to the world's top 10. I would say the first year and a half, we, yeah, we spent a lot of time kind of like getting to know how to live on the tour and how to like plan things and get better at that, get better at training, like how to train, how to prepare, how to do training blocks. And... Uh, and then after that, it became more like about his tennis. Kind of like once we got used to like the life on the tour and adjusting to that, more about strictly his tennis, his his serve, his returns, and stuff like that. And now we're in a part where it's more about his his mental part of the game, how he he can compete better, how he can be more consistent, how he can deal with pressure, different and different situations, different tournaments against different opponents. The number one goal for every tennis player um, should be trying to be physically as fit as possible especially on, on tour as you said they are incredibly incredible athletes uh, on tour and it doesn't matter if you're tall or small you know you really um the, the level of tennis in the last years increased so much and it's um it's really difficult against any opponent doesn't matter 100 in the world 150 20 so there, there's a lot of depth and for me it was always my key to really feel hey i prepared really well i i'm fit i can go three sets i can go five sets he has that in the back of his mind he knows he's one of the fittest guys on tour and he can go for hours during the pandemic he was running i think 10 to 20k a day he got really fit real skinny and it was it was good for him so 
uh, that's why in, in three sets he's pretty tough to beat. Uh, he's probably never going to lose a match based on physicality. If he loses, it could be because of tennis or other things, but not, not because of his physicality. And uh, yeah, he, he based his game around that a lot. So fitness to get through any length of match is important. But according to Schuttler, even if a player thinks they've left it all out on court, there's potentially still more to be done. Even if one you don't feel one one stroke so much or one shot or you're not so comfortable, then hey, go after the match. I did this a lot of times after the match. You say, ah, my point down the line, I wasn't happy with it. The hitting point was too late or I framed a lot. Go just 30 minutes on court. Do it that you go to bed actually with a very good feeling. And then uh, the next time you will play it, you will see it. it for me, it worked a miracle sometimes. And the next day I, I felt completely fine. You see it with, with uh, Rafa is doing this a lot, how much he's practicing. And it's like he wants to have this hitting point, uh, how to feel comfortable with his stroke. And um, that's um, for me, that gave him my confidence to be ready for the opponents. And what does the German think should be done right before a match? Analyze before how the how the my opponent is playing, and then to just do uh, some yeah some strokes which I need to use a lot. Whatever forehand down the line, go play a volley or a kick wide, run around the backhand in the first aggressive uh, forehand. You know to to play these patterns that you really say, hey, I'm ready for it. I can use it. I know it's important for me, and and that you don't hesitate and don't think oh my god uh, how i gonna miss uh, how, how i gonna hit my forehand after my kick serve regardless of how well you play and for how long sometimes things just don't go your way frederic fontan coaches young canadian star felix auger aliassime and is constantly reminding him of the way to act in defeat as well as in victory it's really important that uh, the parents and coach are like uh... Yeah, always like pass this message to, to the player that it's a process, you know, you are going to lose, you are going to win, you know, to don't be, to don't have like too high and and, and not too, too low after the matches and with this humility. And uh, of course, we have the chance uh, with Felix uh, now since uh, one year to work with uh, Tony Nadal as a consultant and uh, humility, you can feel like in the Nadal family that the humility is everywhere you know and it's uh, it's uh, one of the reasons of course that uh, Rafa Nadal is uh, is able to yeah to to continue to to live his passion to play at this level you know after winning so many uh, big titles and because uh, you know one part is the humility you know humility is like you he, still you yeah you have like the is uh, doing the the, the going on the court with the same passion, you know, trying to do his best every day, you know, and, and, and staying normal. That's really important. Alongside humility, Fontan has also identified another important quality around game management. There will be always, like in your career, uh, you will have some down, and, uh, but even if you are have some down, boom, you, you, you need to be able to reset and to come back on the practice the next day after... Uh, a tough defeat, you know, or after whatever negative uh, things happen in, in your life, all the, the best player and uh, I will say the best, best athletes in general, they have like this strong resilience. They, they, they know where they want to go and they, they are doing whatever happens, you know, whatever the external, external fact, they, they are like uh, able to, to come back 
on their process and 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 to work. Resilience, a key factor in thriving at the top of the game, but it's also essential when just starting out. Andres Gomez won the Roland Garros singles title in 1990 and multiple Grand Slam doubles titles, but he still remembers what was needed to transition to the pro game. And the big part is how you take it, you know, being so good when you were in the juniors, you know, losing just a couple of matches every year and, uh, you know, and just being being a top player. And then one day on on December 31st of the year, you, you, you were your 18th birthday the next year, you're 19 and you just one more of the, the bunch of players that are in the world. How do you take it? How are you going to be preparing to, 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 for, to charge? To the to the to the masses, uh, how you can go on and play on the futures and 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 you know and, and get right away that those wins that are gonna you know propel you to the next round and go, and then uh, going on and playing qualities in the the challengers and making the big strides there and uh, and uh, the faster you get out of uh, uh, of those uh, circuits, uh, the better off you're gonna be because. Right there is when uh, when you need to take the chances. That, that right there is not when you need to uh, to be uh, uh, conservative. Right there is when you need to be aggressor. You need to be the uh, the uh, player on command of his game and on command of the of their opponent's game. And that's when uh, you know that uh, when when you have chances and you say, okay, I lost this week. Uh, first round, I have next week, I'm going to work on this. And then you go on and lose another, and lose another. And then, but but you, you need to be seeing the feel that you're going to start feeling on, on, on your shots and the improvement you're going to have. And, and then one, one day, everything falls in place and you make your move. And we finish where we started by hearing from Cam Norrie's coach, Facundo Lugones, on the importance of resilience. And his poster boys for this particular quality... David Ferrer and Diego Schwartzman. I always use Diego as an example for him and come my lot like it at times because I use it a lot. Diego or David Ferrer, how, like, how they how they every year they improve all the time and every aspect, not just the tennis, they're like aware of everything and they wanna become they wanna eat better, they wanna sleep better, they wanna train better, travel better and so it's like and I think I'm going on that path like where every year it's just like He's a little bit more professional, a little bit better on all aspects of the game, and he's he's kind of becoming obsessed with that too, which is at the end of the day what you want. And uh, yeah, he always wants to prove himself, and the better he does, the, the more he wants it. So it's it's a good thing to have. Great to hear from Facundo Lugones along with Andres Gomez, Frederic Fontan, and Reiner Schutler. And to hear more world-class views from world-class coaches, head to World Tennis conference.com where you can still subscribe to watch all the content from the four day event and check out our podcast channel over the coming weeks where we'll be making some of the live conference panel discussions available to listen to that is it for this week come back next weekend when i'll be live in monte carlo for the first masters 1000 of the year on clay in the meantime thanks for listening enjoy the tennis 